This is Scary Terry's Saturday Nightmare from Rock 94.7. Welcome to 13 Questions on Scary Terry's Saturday Nightmare. Tonight's guest is a founding member of Nile, one of the most brutal bands in metal today. Since 93, he and his bandmates have released album after album of epic cinematic metal steeped in Middle Eastern and Egyptian mythology. They've got a brand new album, The Gate of Sethu, in stores now. Carl Sanders, it is my pleasure to say welcome to Scary Terry's Saturday Nightmare. Uh, thanks, Terry. How are you doing tonight? Good, brother. Did you have a good fourth? Yeah, yeah, man. We really blew up some fireworks yesterday, so, yeah. I, I, I had to wonder, what is the, what is the uh, founding member of one of the most brutal um, uh, bands in metal today? What, what does this guy do for the fourth? Does he kick around and grill out like the rest of us schmucks, or Oh, dude, yeah, come on. I'm just a normal guy, too. Uh, I took great joy in, like, doing, you know, just the normal stuff. Grow out, uh, lit some fireworks with my kid, uh, tried, uh, you know, to keep him from blowing himself up. Yeah. Yeah, that's the chief thing. As long as the kid's got all his digits at the end of the day, that's a successful fourth, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Now, uh, Carl, first of all, uh, congratulations on yet another Killer Nile album. Now, what is it about Egyptian mythology that keeps you coming back to it for inspiration? Well, you know, it's uh, just a brutal time in history. Uh, It's a a rich mythology. Um, They left us so much amazing stuff uh, that's, you know, stood thousands of years Uh you know, uh, by contrast, I mean, what, if anything, uh, that we do here in our modern-day existence would stand the test of 5,000 years of time? Um, you know, will we still be laughing at Charlie Sheen 5,000 years from now? I kind of doubt. I, I just, I, I shudder to think what future generations would think of us if they somehow discovered the entire archive of Twitter. I mean, <laughs> can you have a, the, you know, st- our studies have shown that the uh, people of the 21st century were, the, were dumb as a bag of hammers, I'm afraid. So, yeah. Yeah, they probably call us a bunch of twits. And oh, then laugh about it. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm, now, uh, Carl, I'm not an expert in Egyptology by any means, so I am a bit confused by a line from the album's first single, The Fiends Who Came to Steal the Magic of the Deceased. Um, okay, the line, Crocodiles of the South Living on Feces. I gotta ask, why are they living on poop? Well, in the Egyptian underworld, in the afterlife, um, uh, everything is upside down and backwards. Um uh, many of the dead are forced to walk upon their heads. Uh, in, instead of, like, drinking water and eating food, they're, you know, force-fed urine and, and uh, feces. Yeah, it's one of the torments of the underworld. Oh, I was wondering, because I had a dog who uh, practically lived on their own, you know, mess or whatever, and I, maybe instead of, I, I might have had a reincarnated Egyptian spirit living in the body of my dog. That's entirely possible. It is possible. You know, we might as well roll with yes, it, it was, <laughs> because it's more fun than saying no. Well, I, I'm glad I consulted the expert on this, then. Now, um, Carl, <laughs> what is your educational background? Uh, did you study this stuff in college? Um, I took a few world history courses, uh, uh, but I don't have a degree. Um, I spent most of my college uh, life cutting class, practicing guitar, and hanging out in the library um, looking at you know ancient history stuff. 
So, yeah, I started playing metal for a living. Well, you know, <laughs> as many as many celebs who end up getting the uh, the, the uh, degree just, you know, so a college can say, hey, this famous person, we gave him a degree. I would fully put in for the University of Wisconsin to give you a, uh, a degree in Egyptology. There are few albums as well researched as what you'll find at a Nile catalog. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that vote of confidence. Actually, I, I get a lot of letters from both college students and college professors. Um, I was once even asked to speak at the Flanders Museum of uh, Egyptian History in England. Yep. That's pretty awesome. You see, you're already a world-renowned expert. It's about time somebody handed you the uh, sheepskin already, okay? Um, You know, it's kind of like my uh, Taekwondo teacher said to me. He said, you know, I I heard where they gave Dave Mustaine an honorary black belt degree, but Carl, I'm not going to give you one. You have to earn it the hard way. And I was like, dude, that's fine with me. I'm having a blast. Let's get it on. For sure. For sure. Well, at least you don't have to get punched for the for the Egyptology degree. You got that going for you. So, <laughs> well, let's pick your brain a bit more. Carl, if somebody wanted to learn more about Egyptian mythology, how would you recommend they start besides buying Niall's entire musical catalog? Is there a particular yeah. go-to source that you use? Is there a certain book that you, that's a, a key reference for you? Um, well, I have actually quite an extensive collection of Egyptology books that I've built up over the years. Um, a lot of uh, Nile songs, you know, do come from, like, the Book of the Dead, or uh, many of the songs on this new record come from the Book of Gates. Uh, hence, at the gate of Sethu. Now, Carl, you also have two solo albums to your credit, Sorry in Meditation and Sorry in Exorcisms, and these albums really dig into those atmospheric, cinematic elements and the Middle Eastern folk music that you've incorporated into uh, Nile over the years. Do you have any plans for a third solo album? A lot of people have been asking about that, uh, both on tour and you know, all through this uh, album promotion. And, and i got to say, wow, you know, that finally, now that this Nile disc is finished, uh, we spent 10 months on it. Um, you know, maybe I'll have a little bit of time to work on uh, some quiet solo music. You're listening to 13 Questions on Scary Terry's Saturday Nightmare. Scary Terry's Saturday Nightmare is a three-hour metal show heard every single Saturday night from 9 until midnight, Central Standard Time on Rock 94.7, 1029 in Central Wisconsin, and worldwide online at rock947.com. Our interview with Carl Sanders of Nile continues. Well, let's talk a bit more about some of those uh, cinematic elements that you've incorporated. I mean, like the first few seconds of the opening track, I have that. Uh, it's just such a theater of the mind and uh, Slaves of Zul and eth- ethno-musicological cannibalisms. You, you paint these pictures with sound. Are there certain film directors, movies, or composers that inspire your work? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, Basil Pompadouris. Um, is, is a, one of my big ones. Uh, Graham Ravel, uh, John Williams, uh, yeah, many more. Um, you know, some of the great uh, music of our time is written as a soundtrack for movies. Um, yeah, it used to be the place, you know, where great classical works were performed and written for were, you know, the concert hall. But Nowadays, the uh, lucrative field for that is definitely in the cinema. Uh, so that's where you'll find all the new, amazing classical works, is as we be uh, soundtracks. It's, uh, you know, not many people look at it from that point of view, but, uh, man, there's incredible music. I, I went and saw Alien, uh, what is the new Prometheus movie, uh, Ridley Scott's new flick. Um, 
soundtrack was incredible. Incredible. Uh, you know, I, I'm really tuned into that. You know, the music that goes under each scene, um, you know, really guides your emotions uh, and, and, like, helps you experience what, uh, you know, the maker of the movie is trying to communicate. Um, you know, if you took out the music out of the movies, it would be very flat. Um, it would be very emotionally unmoving. I, I'd like to think that, that in Nile, like, you know, we we tapped into a little bit of that uh, methodology, that uh, if you close your eyes and you listen to a Nile album, you, know, you can, like, see stuff happening. You know, as music develops, there's a lot of musical storytelling going on. Oh, absolutely. I mean, those instrumental interludes, they, they propel the album forward to uh, to an extent. I also like to think they, they give it a little bit of dynamic breath. There, there are lots of metal albums where it's just a continual onslaught for 40 minutes with absolutely no let-up or time for breath. And I, I think after a few minutes, uh, the normal human brain kind of shuts down, uh, and you can't take it all in anymore. Uh, I, I think it's much more effective when you give listeners an occasional break, um, change the dynamic, do something quieter, change the mood, you know, whatever that you can come back in and slam them real hard with the next heavy bit. Now that we're getting into uh, your composition theory, you actually offer online guitar lessons. What's the most important lesson you learned about guitar, and who did you learn it from? Wow. Um, There's so many lessons. I don't know if you could single it out as uh, the the single most one, except for one. Uh, It was something that I found... Uh, in a Paul Gilbert video where he said the most important thing that he would like to do for guitar players is to draw them a picture of a giant ear. Um, Because if more guitar players would just listen to themselves (laughs) (laughs) and what racket they're actually making... uh, then they could, you know, really make some progress. You know, we do the same thing in radio, where after you do a show, you have, you know, you tape it, you listen back to your breaks and that sort of thing. You, you have to have that uh, detached review in order to uh, progress, I, whatever creative art you're in, I'd say. Uh, you know, I definitely agree with that. Uh, that's And that's been my experience uh, in learning to make records. Um, you know, when I go back and listen to past work, you know, the things that I know I could do better just are screaming out. You know, when I listen to it, it's uh, very hard for me to necessarily listen to my own work and enjoy it, enjoy it. I'm always hearing, wow, I could have done this, I could have done that, and I shouldn't have done this thing over here, that's terrible. Ugh. You're your own worst critic, you know, that's how it always goes, right? Absolutely, I'm, I'm ruthless. But that's, you know, that's part of the artistic drive. You know, if you thought you did it perfect, then why go on? Exactly, exactly. Now, in addition to teaching uh, playing techniques and theory, you also offer advice on the music business. What's the most common mistake that you see musicians make when it comes to the business side of things? Um, Well, I think uh, it's just colossal. It's uh, thinking that music business has anything to do with music. It almost doesn't. Um, The music business is concerned with the business of music. It's a bigger word. There's more letters in it. Um, it's therefore more important. Uh, to say this in a less polite way, um, I'm reminded of uh, something a, a music promoter, a guy that you know used to book shows here in my town, used to say. He used to say, talent is worthless. 
what has worth is the exploitation of somebody's name. <laughs> and that's cold and cruel, but that's essentially the truth. Um, actually being, you know, in, in the business, you know, trying to, you know, conduct business, it's about uh, being able to exploit uh, or being able to be exploited. Some people say, Carl, man, no, what do I have to do to make it? And I, I have to say, well, it's not enough just to be good. Somebody has to be able to exploit you. If a record company doesn't see the possibility of making money based upon exploiting you, then you're not worth their time. It doesn't matter how good your music is or how good you are as a guitar player or a piano player or whatever it is you're talking about. It's about pure exploitation. And that's, that's nothing to do with music. You know, we, we study for years to learn to play our instruments and learn how to write songs and, you know, work at putting a band together, only to find out that that's irrelevant if you're talking about the music business. So as an artist, do you see opportunities to exploit on your own end uh, to, to profit somehow from the label? Is there some sort of mutual trade available there? No. What, are you kidding me? These guys have been playing that game for much longer than I've been alive. Um, so, no. <laughs> Very one-sided uh, battle, then. It is one-sided battle. So one has to ask oneself the essential philosophical question. Why am I here? What the hell am I doing? And I worked that out a long time ago. I love music. I'm playing music because I love music. Otherwise, there's no way in hell that I would put up with the nightmares that go on behind the scenes every day, day in, day out. There's no freaking way. I would just walk away and say, I've got better things to do with my time. I could play music for fun and be much motherfucking happier because it would be just fun. But thankfully, you know, I've learned to separate those two things. And I feel lucky that in this lifetime, I'm actually able to play music that I enjoy relatively on my own terms and still, you know, do it for a living. That's uh, an incredible, wonderful blessing and gift. And the people who make that possible are music fans. Um, without music fans, um, there would be no bands playing music for a living. It's that friggin' simple. Well, we're glad that you've uh, that you've decided to stick with it. Now, you spoke of some of the more uh, some of the complications of being uh, in your line of work. Uh, now, your lessons also offer advice on the best method of torturing, killing, and disposing of your bass player. Um, is your new guy Todd Ellis? Is he still among the living? He is still among the living. Thankfully, Todd is a very talented, solid bass player who's also a low key kind of guy. He's He's not a drama guy. He's not a high-stress individual. I mean, oftentimes, very talented individuals are also just a little bit crazy. <laughs> yeah. We got a um, few of those around the office, too. I understand completely. Yeah. But Todd, he, he manages to be talented and very low-key. Uh, it's a welcome relief. Uh, so we're really happy to have him around. Good deal. Now, uh, Carl, this fall, you're going to be doing a massive European tour with uh, Fuel by Fire, Creator, and Morbid Angel. If you could choose one band on the bill, besides your own, to invite you on stage to play one song, what band and what song would you pick? Well, you know, I'd probably get up there with my Morbid buddies. Um, I've been friends with them for years and years and years, even before there was a Morbid Angel. So, yeah, I'd probably get up there and do, well, I don't know, Immortal Rights. 
Oh, through the madness. Classic yeah. pick. Classic pick. I, I commend you for that one. You actually lived with Morbid Angel back in the day. Do you have any stories about that time that you can share without attracting the attention of law enforcement? <laughs> uh, keep in mind. Well, actually, we could go on for hours, you know, <laughs> filling up all kind of radio space with, with tales. Um, yeah. Um, but, uh, no, maybe I, I should leave some of those, you know, for people who want to dig out, you know, the, the written recorded sources of those. Suffice it to say that uh, packed into that month that I lived up at the Mormon Angel House was was an incredible metal experience. Um, uh, and I, I learned so much, you know, watching the early Morbid Angel, you know, developing their sound and, and taking metal to incredible new places. Um, it was an incredible time of musical invention and, and a pioneering spirit. Yeah. Awesome days. Now, once you wrap with um, Creator and Morbid Angel and Fuel by Fire on this tour in, in uh, Europe, do you guys have any U.S. tour plans? Absolutely. We're uh, cooking up a February tour with us and uh, Dying Fetus and hopefully Nerve Cell. Well, we would certainly welcome that in the great state of Wisconsin. And that is uh, Carl Sanders of Nile. Like them on Facebook, follow them on Twitter, check out their official website, and make sure you pick up their latest album at the Gate of Sethu in stores online now. Carl, thank you so much for being a part of Scary Terry's Saturday Nightmare. Uh, thank you, Terry. It's been a blast talking with you tonight. And thank you for listening to 13 Questions on Scary Terry's Saturday Nightmare. Scary Terry Saturday Nightmare is a three-hour metal show heard every single Saturday night from 9 until midnight, Central Standard Time on Rock 94.7, 1029 in Central Wisconsin, and worldwide online at rock947.com. I'm Terry Stevens. Like Scary Terry Saturday Nightmare on Facebook if you get a chance. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at TerryRock947. Thanks for listening.